please give us a follow on Spotify. It really helps out and you will get a notification every time we release a new episode on Monday. Welcome to the Ignition Podcast. Today's guest is David Withers. He is the CEO of Starter Motor. Uh, the Starter Motor's passion is to see the next generation of young people driving, maintaining and enjoying historic cars. Because they know if nothing is done, the world of classic motoring will change and even disappear. And I love going into conversations like these, knowing very little about someone and why they choose to do something. And David is 100% in on what he's doing with Starter Motor, getting young people in old cars. Their work speaks to me as an enthusiast and a lover of all cars, especially classics. It's conversations where I learned the most that I enjoyed the most. And I, I learned a lot from David, not just about Starter Motor and the fantastic work for heritage and classic cars they're doing, but also the work they're doing for the new generation of car lovers giving them a real chance to experience the raw feeling of a classic and the very beginning of the cars. So if you're asking the question, what do I do with my passion for cars? Well, hopefully, this might give you an idea. David, welcome to the podcast. How are we? Very well indeed. Thank you, Harry. Super well, in fact. Fantastic. So a little question I'd like to start with is, what ignited your passion for cars? It goes back to when I was a small child and my uncle had a dealership and he sat me as a small toddler on the chassis of an old Alvis, and it was like a playground for me. And I loved the fact that I could see all the kind of working bits. And then I became fascinated by the whole kind of motion movement and everything else. But I've just loved cars ever since, which is many, many, many years now. <laughs> um, brilliant. So, I mean, what was your first experience of you owning a car like? What, 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 was, what was that? Well, my first ever car. So I learned to drive in the Channel Islands. I lived there at the time. My car was a Singer Chamois, which is a Hillman Imp with plastic wood on the dash. And um, uh, so I had that when I was 17. And my best experience in the first three months of driving was um, hitting a big bump. Uh, The engine is in the back of those. And the... uh, when the back wheels hit this bump, the engine moved up so far that it, it actually touched the top of the bonnet and broke off all the spot plug heads. <laughs> so and, that, and that, it was profoundly disabled at that point. So that's an early experience. Um, it steered itself. You know, the steering wheels connection to the front wheels was sort of um, sort of ethereal at best. And then I moved on to a Mini, which was a bit more reliable and and great fun after that. Brilliant. And so... Yeah, you are the CEO of Starter Motor. Where did the sort of passion and the um, wanting to, to create something like that happen from? Well, Starter Motor began a little bit before me in 2016. It sort of grew up in parallel to the Heritage Skills Academy here. And it was started off by um, a number of guys who set themselves as trustees here at Vista Heritage. Um, the Heritage Skills Academy is an apprenticeship training academy. Um, and it needed lots of equipment quickly because they had apprentices arriving and they needed things to work on. So the charity ostensibly started to acquire equipment by getting donations uh, of equipment and money um, very early on, Um, but it quickly became apparent that that could only be a part of it. The idea is to introduce the next generation to old cars, uh, historic motoring, and 
what became blindingly obvious is you've got to have cars that young people can drive. So we figured out a way. I was working with the trustees at the time. We figured out a way using massive support from Haggerty Insurance um, and donations of just really two cars at the time that actually would drive um, of being able to put an 18-year-old behind the wheel of those and to enjoy it. Um, We've since grown that up now. Today, we've got, um, I think it's soon to be 13 driving cars of all shapes and sizes. Um, We've got two coming next week. Um, And they're either donated to us or we have them on long-term loan. So a big part of what we do is experience. But the whole idea is to introduce um, the next generation to, um, you know, a really... um, fantastic community a community where uh, they can belong they're not always looking at screens they can enjoy the oily bit like we all do um but actually drive these cars enjoy these cars and and experience something of our motoring heritage yeah and it's it's why i wanted to interview though because part of this podcast is to inspire people who don't know what want to do with the passion for cars to do something with their passion um so why is it so important for you that these um young 18 year olds have that connection with the car so early on well i think that um, most people who are young and involved in the industry are involved because they um, had a dad or a granddad um, or someone that they were close to like i had an uncle that kind of introduced them but that we know there must be i don't know tens of thousands out there in this country alone that don't know they would love it so one thing is to extend it in in that direction and expose these cars um, to lots and lots of young people. Also, it's a very, very big sector. It's three times the size of the music industry in terms of its contribution to GDP. It employs thousands and thousands of people. Um, So there's lots of career opportunities and there's a real need for young people to come into um, the industry in lots of different areas, one of which is engineering. Um, So all... Uh, all of us enjoy our old cars. Um, we need someone to mend them. The average age of a technician now um, in garages around the country, and there's probably a little over 500 of them, uh, is over 55. There's 500 a year retiring, uh, but there's only, in terms of new apprentices coming in, 40 or 50. So the equation is not balanced. Um, the problem is obvious, um, and we can sit on our hands thinking it will get better by itself. Um, or we can think of it as like a micro version of global warming. Unless we act now, what we're enjoying now won't be here uh, in 10 years time. And we've also got, sorry to stat, stat you up, we, we've got an average age of driver of these old cars, that's pre-1990, is 64. Yeah. So uh, there's a million of them out there. Uh, so roll forward 15 years, you're going to have three quarters of a million cars on the market and no one to buy them. Um, so you've got to get enthusiasts, you've got to get technicians and career people in all avenues of the old car world. Uh, and you've got to make these cars visible because they're invisible to so many young people. Young people actually are are, are really trying to work out whether they're going to bother to learn to drive, let alone get involved in older cars. It's not quite an existential threat, but it's a significant threat to what we've been used to for the last century. Is it important for you to these cars to stay on the road? And and if so, do you think that maybe electrifying them is is the way forward? 
Electrifying is actually a really interesting and fun solution, but I don't think it's a way forward. I think um, government and um, legislative bodies in the UK, DVLA, etc., are really quite comfortable with the classic car world. In terms of its impact on climate, it's negligible. Um, one of the great things about old cars is you mend them, you don't remake them. And the big carbon footprint issue is in making the car. Um, it's not actually in uh, on the fuel side to anywhere near that degree. But there are three or four fantastic companies. Um, one here on site is Electrogenic. And, uh, they do just a brilliant job of electrifying cars. So having had a go, I mean, it is a special experience. But it's also a special experience to sit in an Austin 7 from 1929 with 700cc um, gears in the wrong order and um it's called seven because that's how many horsepower it has um so you know you've got that whole kind of automotive thing as well there are threats like fuel supply um but actually that needs a vibrant historic car um scene to mitigate that threat because if there's no demand there'll be no fuel yeah um but i think fuel will become sort of uh more specialized in terms of its delivery here and there but there's there's no real dark clouds on the horizon um certainly not in the next sort of 25 years yeah and i wanted to dive into a bit more about your you see your personal life so what, what cars do you own and what do you drive on a, on a daily basis oh well on a daily basis um one of the supporters of um um, starter motor is Toyota UK and they've given a Hilux to tow all our cars around so I'm often seen in that um, this big monster truck and um, uh, which is kind of fun my first ever classic car was when I was 24 and uh, it was a Daimler V8 250 which is the same shape as Mark II Jaguar except it had the little turner two and a half litre um, V8 in it and uh, whilst I didn't really know enough about mechanics, um, it was a fantastic car. Uh, they're very sought after now. But um, uh, uh, so personally, because there's so many starter motor cars that we're constantly having to organize, um, we've got six of them out, the Heritage Skills Academy, all getting ready to go out next weekend. Um, uh, I, I personally don't own one right at this point, although yeah. I've got access to all 13. Um, but if I had a choice, you know, I love the shape of a Mark II Jaguar. I'm a big Alvis fan. Um, uh, I probably love all things British, but, um, you know, we have a bit of a philosophy, I think, at Bista Heritage in general, which is if you love it, we love it too. So it's nice to have a go in as many things as you possibly can, whether it's Mighty Powerful or an Austin 7 at the opposite end. Our oldest car is a 1902 Oldsmobile Curve Dash, which we enter in the London to Brighton run. Lovely. It's tiller steering, driven by um, under-25s, and it's a fantastic, fantastic thing um, uh, and a great experience, obviously, to go in the oldest competitive car event in the world. Um, so you mentioned your, I mentioned your uncle getting you into the sort of car industry as, as a whole. Um, what, is it, what is it for you that keeps you driving? Um, well, I think that, that there's the need, and we've sort of uh, explored that a little bit. Um, I think if you're running a charity or helping to run a charity that I am, how do you measure success? And there's that kind of slightly softer side, which is just the smiley faces. Yeah. And, and uh, so yesterday in the bright sunshine, it's raining at the moment, but yesterday in the bright sunshine, um, we've got these five cars at Heritage Skills. There's about 20 apprentices surrounding them, all getting ready, a few of whom are going to be driving them shortly up to the Haggard Hill climb, Chelsley Walsh, 
at the end of the month. And it's it's the fun, the excitement and all of those sorts of things um, that drives you. And ultimately, you've got to ask the question of the charity, is it working? Yeah. Are more people getting interested? And our experience and all of our numbers show that, you know, every time we expose old cars to young people, um, they get very excited about it and it does work and there is a real cue um, to get in the machines. Um, so we can't, we don't really have the sort of wherewithal the finances to maintain um, and deliver any more cars than we presently have. In fact, financing is always a struggle because um, these cars are very expensive to maintain. Um, so we're about at our limit until we've kind of done some major fundraising to extend our um, capability. But it's, you know, it's very, uh, one of the dynamics that's really interesting to see our newest car is an Audi TT from 2001. It's a convertible, it's a lovely car, dead reliable, very modern, and everybody loves it. And everybody looks at it, they kind of recognize it because it's a 21-year-old car and it looks very much like a five-year-old car. Yeah. Um, so they all want to have a go, but then they look at the car next to it, which is from 1991, which is a uh, Toyota MR2, um, uh, the sort of little Ferrari-shaped one. Uh, in bright yellow and mm-hmm. they then kind of work their way backwards we've got a porsche 924 from 1981 we don't um get sort of 10 years apart deliberately it's just coincidence we've got a little bit of a gap on the 70s at the moment um but rs type jag from the 60s um is a very special car but yeah. they work their way back very quickly to the austin 7 from 1929 um the oldsmobile in 1902 which is the oldest car obviously um, has to be used um, sparingly because of its um, age and its delicate nature. And actually the driving experience in that is otherworldly. Mm. You've got to have lessons, even if you're a very fine driver. Brilliant. And so where do you see the future of Starter Motor heading? Where is the, you wouldn't say the the finality of it, but what what would you like to see happen? Well, we do schools days and we're aiming at 14 year olds who are about to make a GCSE decision and expose them to all these. We had 10 career paths in the October most recent schools day. So I see it doing a lot more um, with younger um, uh, teenagers, sort of 13, 14. And it's so it's really building our infrastructure to deliver that, not just in Vista. I mean, Malvern want to do one at Morgan Factory. Um, and you know other places we're looking at one at the, uh, the Bewley National Motor Museum um, yeah. for Hampshire and just bringing loads of kids in on a weekday and they discovering all of these different things that you can do in the old car world so it's to develop this sort of um, you know it's just a big community of young people that will be able to find access but also to find accessible cars yeah because it's you know otherwise they're just sort of poster fodder and you you need to have a go. So you know if we've got twenty five um, cars to try it, typically they'll take them for one to two weeks, as opposed to go and drive it for a couple of hours and bring it back and we'll check yeah. it. So it's a proper experience and go to the garden fates and do your Instagram and TikTok and everything else and tell all your mates about it. Don't just tell our industry; we already know. Um, and you become a star. The car becomes a star and. Um, so it's just more and more. So a target is if we're losing 500 technicians who yeah. mend our cars per year to retirement, how do we get 500 new technicians 
per year qualifying as apprentices. Um, so, you know, moving uh, at the present rate of 50 next year should be um, much closer to 100. Yeah. Um, but it's a sort of five to 10 year plan even to balance that. So we've got to do a lot more in terms of that side, but also, you know, good racing drivers. I mean, when you go to a Goodwood meeting and they're a great supporter of us and look at the average age of the driver yeah. in these racing cars, it's a challenge. So we need to be putting young people uh, behind the wheel in competition. So Hero, um, our friends, Hero ERA, they, we've got an apprentice entry in their um, challenge series in, in our Porsche 924, which okay. starts, starts in July. And the um, uh, Vintage Sports Car Club, the SCC, um, have given us sort of an open book um, to enter people, obviously with the correct motorsport training mm. uh, in their events without fees. So it just, you know, extends the access and means that you can have people in sort of all ends of this particular hobby. That's brilliant. And so for those listening that want to want to know more about the experience, if I if I'm looking to start in in start mode and I come to you to be an apprentice, what does the journey look like? Well, the journey uh, for that is um, uh, a typical apprentice will be employed by a specialist. So uh, and then trained officially by an academy, uh, which is government funded. Um, so we invite people to send us an email and then we'll kind of uh, add the um, uh, add that name to the network. And uh, so if you then go to one of the academies, so an example is the one based here at the Brooklyn's, the Heritage Skills Academy, Um uh, they will explain the course, and it's a three-and-a-half-year course, what qualification you get at the end of it, and work side-by-side side with you to um, uh, uh, find you an employer because, you've, yeah. you know, you've got to be employed. So it, it generally works well. Most the, the issue at the moment is not simply having someone apply. It's finding specialists who will employ um, and persuading them and encouraging them to have young people on their workforce. Um, and then after three and a half years, you've got a brilliant qualification, you know, uh, heritage engineer technician, and uh, it's a job for life. There's an enormous amount you can do with that. And yeah, so when you're talking to these specialists and the, the people with all the, all the skills, how do you convince them that an 18 year old has much enthusiasm as a 45 year old? Well, the simplest way we do it is to get one of the more senior apprentices to tell them. Um, and uh, so we were, we were doing a head gasket work on one of our cars um, last week. And um, the technician um, we, uh, who was going to do it, we put an apprentice with them to assist them. But we put yeah. a senior apprentice who was just a brilliant assistant. So it just absolutely enthuses um, the expert to realize that actually having someone there, if I'm prepared to invest in first year, when you're showing you which is the front end of the car, how to open the door and those sorts of things. And then yeah. you move into the following year when they are taking engines out, skimming heads and, um, you know, doing rebuilds and, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, then they really do get some added value to their business. So it's, it's to go in there, be committed. Um, we'll help them find the right guys along with Heritage Skills Academy and um, they're investing in the future, but they're also benefiting, benefiting their business today. Yeah. Um, what are starter motor looking for in, in, an, in an apprentice? Well, I mean, we would sort of 
defer to Heritage Skills Academy, what you're looking for, what we look for in any of the career channels, because you could work at Motorsport UK, you could work in media and communication and all of those things. The principal um, attribute is passion. So if you've got the passion, that gives you the determination. The determination gives you the application. The application gives you the expertise. And, uh, and even if you don't have all the right qualifications, you'll force your way through. Yeah. But if you start with passion, you carry on. Um, you know, it, it, if you could bottle it, it would be the, uh, the most important thing. So, yes, yeah, start with passion. If you're really, really passionate about this area, um, either to be employed or to have fun in, um, you'll stick with them. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about Startup Motor, David, but I'd like to actually talk a bit more about you. So why did you choose to work for a charity? Well, my background was um, sort of 30-odd years in the music industry and broadcasting, but my hobby was cars. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and it, you know, so I joined Startup Motor uh, about three and a half years ago, and um, I was working a little bit with the trustees on sort of stage two, and then they said, would you, you know, sort of lead into that stage? So I've got an understanding and a background in charity law and uh, all of those sorts of things. Um, and then combined to the aforementioned, passion for so you build a structure um uh, so coming out of the music industry um and publishing industry you know it's really quite different um uh, but what's in common is looking into the eyes of people who are in the audience or on the stage and seeing the enjoyment and the determination you know the racetrack is the stage um but you know we all listen to the music in our cars so there's a lot of parallels in in sort of um the way that our minds work and and the things we want to do um uh, so you know i've settled in uh, i think reasonably well my trustees who are my bosses yeah um, probably think we still got to knock a few edges off him and get him to improve but you know it's it's a wonderful thing to do and see the smiley faces and all the rest of it and that sort of helps you put up with all the hassles the fundraising and uh you know the car's broken down again dave and all of those sorts of things that you deal with on a week-to-week basis and it must be quite i'm guessing it's quite um, sometimes quite pressure heavy and how have you how have you found that journey so far um, well, it is. It's yeah. The single biggest thing is everybody in the industry loves what we do, but hardly anybody invests in it. Everybody yeah. sees the need and say we have to do it now. So you say, well, you know, can you send us hundred quid because um, that'll be really useful. Um, and you know, if we've got a million drivers out there and each of them gave us, um, actually, the equation is quite simple. I think it's twenty two pence. Um, we'd fund the charity for a year. Um, but what you get is you know a fraction of one percent but those who do commit are not always the rich people um they're just the people who get it and um you know they commit a little bit more sacrificially some of the people you would expect to be the big funders um you know we've been chasing for three years and we'll continue to chase but we've get we get massive support and, and critical support from mr heritage um our hosts and haggerty insurance um uh, and there are two sort of principles and then people like chubb insurance and others um uh, provide us with enormous backup and when you're speaking to these these big backers what is it important that you convey to them well uh if you're someone like and i'll 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 talk of the converted so haggerty simply understand that their market will shrink 
So their commercial view is if there's fewer people insuring themselves on classic cars, they'll have smaller business. Yeah. They're a worldwide company. They, um, so they'll say, okay, um, we'll work with support and provide resources. So all of our insurance plus um, uh, significant cash contributions um, in order to let Starter Motor do what Starter Motor does. So they're not looking to advertise Haggerty. We'll always put their names on everything because they're our supporter. Yeah. Um, they're looking to introduce the next generation. So the most important thing that any donor um, can offer us is uh, the fact that they believe in us. Um, if you have a negotiation, someone says, I'll give you a thousand pounds, but I want you to do this, which is not what the charity does. We have to politely decline. Yeah. So we have, you know, it's, it's there on the charity commission website. It says what we do and without changing our constitution, we can't do anything else and we don't want to do anything else. So what we're persuading them to do is support that mission which is to put the next generation in the driving seat. And we mean that slightly euphemistically as well as literally. And those, those hard conversations you have to have, um, are, they, are they the most important ones? No, they're not the most important ones, but if we don't have them, we can't do the most important thing. The most important thing we do is when we're actually face-to-face with um, an audience of young people, be it on a school's day at a scramble um, or an individual who's taking the keys for one of the cars for the next two weeks. Um, and uh, that's the actual outcome. The money that comes in makes that happen. So we've got to have that first difficult conversation. Will you invest? Um, and then that's followed by the outcome. So you just got to hold those either side of the seesaw. You invest a lot in other people, but what yourself, David? How, how are you investing in your relationships and your family in general? Well, uh, family-wise, they're all. I've got four um, children. They're grown up now and um it it does link a little bit because i have three boys and a girl and my daughter was married a year ago and we had for her bridesmaids one of the charities um the charities little ford model y and the austin seven driving them around and someone at vista heritage lent me a beautiful bristol to take the bride and it was in you know partial lockdown so they're kind of integrated in the world they love coming to the scrambles here and seeing all that's going on um, but family is, is just a critical thing. It's, it's always priority. You know, it's where life begins, um, you know, in terms of your community and, uh, mm. uh, and I love my family to be involved in all of this, but they also have their own interests and uh, I love being involved uh, in whatever they're doing too. I'm pretty well. Congratulations to, to your daughter. Would it be something you'd like to get them interested in or if they were really interested in something else, maybe their kids that you'd be that sort of guide into the, into the world of classic cars. Yes, I think it's always a choice. And when we go back to what we were saying earlier, if if you find someone who has the potential uh, to develop or already has a passion for these, they look at it and they're sort of, um, you know, enraptured by this this whole vision of something otherworldly that has wheels on it, um, then you back that. And it's never going to be what we're not trying to do is get 50% of the population interested in um, classic cars. It's finding that 2% who don't know that they're interested in, and, and giving them opportunity. Um, so with my um, four kids, the eldest, who's an architect, um, he loves the form and the function and, you know, the engineering of all of these things. And he will look and he will stare and, he, and he's a very good driver. So he'll do all those things. Second son, 
loves the look of it. He's a school teacher, and yeah, um, yeah that that's all fine. Um, my daughter loved having them for a wedding. They look brilliant in the photos. And she said, "Do you want to drive?" Mm, well. I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, you get a different reaction with, with them all. Youngest son will just drive everything. Um, and uh, well, I'll give that a go. And then, la- and, and then laugh a lot. When you're looking at these these kids moving through the start mode to sort of journey, where are the pitfalls? Where do they lie? So maybe well, the, uh, where, where do you think it drops off? Um, I think the, the, the biggest pitfall is that um, they see all of this world, but they can't touch. Mm-hmm. So it's accessibility is the big thing. So when you're, let's go back to being um, a technician. So you're mending old cars, you never get to drive them. And they won't let anybody young drive them. So if we look at this, there's a specialist um, called a Curie Batelli. They specialize in pre-war Aston Martins. They have um, an apprentice. His name is Callum. And uh, he's in his early 20s. And they've put him on the group insurance. So when he's mended a car, they send him out and pre-war Aston Martin to test drive it. And if there's special events that they're involved in, they'll um, let him be a driver of the car. So um, they go out to the Mille Miglia in Italy and he goes out to support the racing drivers out there. And the Nuvolari in Italy, he's down at their race meetings at Goodwood and Donington um, as a technician. So they've got him front and central doing everything. They'll never lose him. But if you get people that see the young people um, as just sort of incidental um and they feel a little patronized and they have limited opportunities that's where you lose them because they just be bored or they'll feel um slightly marginalized so when we have a let's say a scramble at vista heritage and the mums and dads come up with the um 10 year old we talk to the 10 year old and we we were running five cars this time taking them for rides but it was for the kids yeah all the older people wanted to go in the cars as well um, but that, that's fine. You sit in the back seat, um, yeah. and, and they went trundling around the site. Um, so it, it's making them front and central. Really, talk to the young people. Don't just talk to the dads and pretend they're not there. Hmm. Well, that's brilliant. Because I mean, personally, for me, when I look at even, I mean, I'm only 21, but sort of like two, three years ago, when I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school, I, I didn't see anyone my age driving sort of mm. classic cars i didn't because i mean i love a classic mini i love I mean, there are astons of course but and even like you say him and imps one of my one of my dream cars but um yeah i think it's very important to show representation for people like my age that mm. it's it's attainable and it's sort of it's you can do it but through the right channels rather than just you have to own the car but you can drive the car because it was always it is seen like a you can look but you can't touch sort of thing exactly right yeah uh, and there's too many kind of uh, felt ropes around expensive cars. At the um, most recent event, um, Mr. JWW, the YouTuber who goes in these hypercars as Kunisegs and, you know, top end McLarens and Astons yeah. and all of that. Um, he had several cars here on display, you know, brand spanking new. And he let the crowds in directly. They were putting kids in the seats. And these things, I mean, goodness knows what they're worth, seven figure sums, some of them. Yeah. Um, and, then you've got memories. But if you stand behind a rope looking at something that looks beautiful, you may as well be in an art gallery. But, you know, to extend that metaphor unnecessarily, this is allowing the kids to paint. Um, That's a bit twee. But um, you know what I'm saying. It's having a go. You know, it's being included, being an equal with everybody else and being made welcome, you know, every step in. 
No, I think it's I think it's fantastic what you guys are doing, and I I fully support it. And I think it's something that if I had the chance to do, I would I would, I would jump at the, jump at the bit. But I mean, it's how do you how are you spreading the word to people apart from just the old sort of um, charity event or even but a bit of heritage? Is there anything you're doing out of the box that might might grab people our age? Um, well, there's various things we've we're look we're planning in September a um, uh, the rally of young people so looking at our 12 or 13 cars we're finding multiply that by two so up to 26 people right. so we'll be looking around saying right we're going to go on a um 48 hour rally um you're going to go off you're going to camp on the welsh border in the golden valley but you're going to go via a trip to morgan on the way and have a private tour uh, driving your cars um halfway you then um take out you know draw lots because you Cars, and then you drive all back um, at via Gaydon in the National Motor Museum and right. uh, have a private tour of that. Um, and then you trundle back here, arriving on Friday at the Wrigley Monkey, which is an on-site brewery, for uh, the Rally Awards on a Friday night. And um, so we're looking at people who are making a contribution to the industry, uh, recognising them, rewarding them, and, and, and keeping them. So from... Our point of view, Harry, you um, and you know you fit absolutely front and central in that because it's not just car mechanics; it's yeah. anybody who's enthusiastic and is committed and investing, as you do, because obviously you're a media man, yeah. um, and you know you should sit in the car, drive the car, and then you can you know uh, have a variety to look at. You speak firsthand about it, and it develops a lot of authenticity. So, well, oh. you know offline we'll have a chat about which car you can have first definitely <laughs> it would be a pleasure i'm looking forward to it brilliant um david some i call this all geeky questions i think you've kind of answered most of them anyway but the first one i like to say is if you could pick any three cars for your garage what would you pick well if um, you i'd then pick a bit of a, of a variety um, yeah. you know cars for occasions um so my everyday car would be a subaru impreza turbo from the late nineties, first shape, um, second series. Um, and, uh, that would be my point to point car. I had them as company cars in the nineties and, uh, I've always harked back to that. Um, my car for an occasion would either probably be, uh, something like an Alvis, um, TE from the late sixties, which are just lovely cars to be in or an Aston Martin, db6 yeah. db5 something like that and then my sporty car i mean i know the subaru is a bit sporty but my sort of competition car where you just drive would probably be a mini brilliant you know get in it uh mini cooper s and you don't slow down for roundabouts no <laughs> you speed up um yeah, yeah. Um, if you had one car and one track what would you drive and where would you go well, I haven't driven many tracks. The one I perhaps enjoyed most was Brands Hatch, the inner circuit. I've never driven the country circuit, so I uh, uh, drove around that. Probably that in something like a Ferrari Dino, the little Ferrari from the yeah. 50s. Super pretty, super light, um, super responsive, and you just sit there. You enjoy the noise, the smell, and you go quick. Yeah, and for you, David, what is the most important, I would say, modificational part of a car? I would say the best modification that should always be looked at is stopping the car, not making it go. So get the brakes right. 
and and then your confidence to drive you massively improves and your enjoyment goes way up the scale just because you know you're going to be able to stop fantastic well it's been an absolute pleasure um david i I, thank you so much for doing this and and preaching the word about classic cars and also the importance of getting the youth involved in classic cars i think what you're doing is is truly amendable so thank you for that thank you very much now um i feel great that was amazing i always say to myself before an episode prepare to be amazed and it's safe to say that did not disappoint i hope if you're looking for a way to get to the industry check out starter motor it seems like the perfect opportunity to be given skills and learn lessons that will last a lifetime plus the chance to gain a, a skill that is few and far between i'm considering quitting my job just just because the the conversation was that good and hopefully you get to look at behind the scenes and what it takes to go all in like david is David is undoubtedly all in with his drive to ensure that the car industry is not understaffed and the technicians who go in have a passion from the offset. And if an opportunity came up like that for me, I would undoubtedly chomp on the bit to give it a go. So if you want to learn more about Starter Motor and give yourself a start in the automotive industry, there'll be links to them in the show notes. And if you want to find us on Instagram, that's at we are ignition. that's we are ignition with an R, or YouTube, just at Ignition, or TikTok, at also We Are Ignition. That's TikTok, at We Are Ignition. I would love to hear your thoughts on the content we're producing, and if you have any ideas for guests coming up in the future. And if someone you know, or you, would like to be in the podcast, give me an email. It's harry at ignitionpod.com. That's harry at ignitionpod.com. So that's it. My name's Harry. And this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, please share it with three people that you know that love cars as much as you do. I would really appreciate it.